0: This podcast is brought to you by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate or check out the THN Patreon page to become a monthly supporter. And Omaha Bound. No one has more experience binding comic books into beautiful hardbound editions. Check out their work at OmahaBound.com. Thanks to Omaha Bound and stay tuned for an announcement about their Kickstarter for Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe series from Caliber Comics collected for the first time. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 589 of the Twitter Nerd Comic Book
1: Podcast Nerds. My name
0: is Matt Bond.
1: And I'm the Ernest Joe Patrick, and this week, the Cosmic Longbox makes its triumphant return, and we're talking back-to-school comics from across the comic multiverse. After that, it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to discuss our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we got a Star Trek-themed Ask-a-Nerd
0: question that these nerds were made to answer, so suit up, red shirts, because we've got an away mission that none of you are going to survive. But first, it's review time in the Zigarrow!
1: With new comics still dribbling out, it seemed like a perfectly good time to bring back the cosmic long box where every other episode will have a theme for the comics we're reviewing. Of course, if you've got an idea for a theme, we want to hear it from you. But this week, with millions of students hopefully going back to school online and not in person... Or if you're being added, forced and corralled into germ-filled... <laughs> yeah, well, you know... Badly ventilated rooms. The, the baton death march of uh, Back to School 2020... <laughs> We decided to review comics featuring schools. Matt, why don't you grab your new backpack and pencil set and get this study sesh started? I was so
0: excited. I was like, I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to do New Mutants number one from Marvel in 1982. I knew that you would. (laughs) This is written by Chris Claremont with art by Bob McCloud. This is Chris Claremont's introduction to the New Mutants team the beloved new mutants team who will apparently never graduate to X Menhood. <laughs> they keep just getting shunted back here and there right now. They're all I mean, in space. Some of them, some of them did they have for a minute or two when like someone wasn't around or the whole team died or everybody vanished. <laughs> but for some reason, every time they get called up to the majors, they get sent right back to the minors. This team, the original team, Wolvesbane, Sunspot, Cannonball, magic, well, who was sort of there, but not quite on the team yet. She was traveling in this issue, so she's not at the X-Mansion yet. Danny Moonstone, who's better known as Mirage. and Moonstar. Moonstar and Karma are all here. We haven't yet, a, yet met a couple of my favorites, but this was the introduction to the new team, Claremont's own X-Characters that he got to introduce. And let me tell you, he writes the worst accents in the world and they are on full <laughs> display here i cannot I, tell you matt 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 i did ken what you mean uh, it's so awful and rain who is scottish wolvesbane <laughs> first of all has a terrible haircut too Thank you, Mr. (laughs) McCloud. And every time she talks, it just makes me want to die. My hair near look pretty. It near seems to grow. (laughs) It's so bad. (laughs) Bobby is, of course, super horny because he's from Argentina. He's kissing everyone's hands. He's hoping the professor isn't reading his filthy thoughts. (laughs) We all know that
1: that's how Argentinians are. They,
0: They can't help it. What can I say? I, you know, reading this first issue again, I gotta say this seemed really dated, and I don't remember it being this dated. I mean, the teens—of course you don't—the teens were terrible, like really poorly written. The art is lacking at best, and I'm kind of surprised that after this first run, this didn't get completely shelved other than the fact that Claremont was in charge and probably said nope I'm going somewhere with this and it does get a lot better I love this run so much but I gotta say it did not start great and I had some real questions when I went back and read it like how come Kitty wasn't on this team why didn't she
1: was She was already an
0: X-Man. Which is ridiculous because she's like younger than some of the people on this team. (laughs) too late. Let's like Jubilee, man. She was already an X-Man. I guess. I will say this was definitely the first time that that the Charles Xavier school really feels like a school. You've got actual teens here, not
1: just Kitty and a bunch of adults running around. But yeah, probably the first time since the 60s when they were actually teenagers. Right. I can only
0: give this a skim it because it's just not a great first issue. <laughs> yeah, it's no, super it's clunky. The art is not good. We don't really get to know much about the characters other than they are complete racial stereotypes of everywhere they are from. <laughs> and their the powers are kind of silly. Like Wolvesbane turns into a full on dog. And like, sort of when she's not, she's sort of like a half dog. Elf wolf looking thing. She's not the big scary werewolf she would later be. That's is that something
1: that she did? Did she do the halfway thing back then?
0: Just barely in this one, they show her like jumping out of something in the danger room, and she's sort of half wolf for a minute, and she slips, and she goes, "Oh no, I better go full wolf!" And she turns into full wolf dog, and then she like falls through a hole because she's not good
1: at it yet. Right, like it wasn't until it wasn't until the extinction agenda uh, that she got experimented on, and then she became like the x factor wolvesbane where well, she was like she had also kind of a werewolf style
0: yeah she was a little more scarier then but she had been yeah. like she had like a werewolf form she could take before mm. that i think she just wasn't like that was sort of around that time where they were like we want all the werewolves to be like wolverine and so here's feral and scary wolvesbane and wild sure. child and like all the crazy long fingernailed scary wild you know like okay i get it yeah yeah um, this is not as great as I remember, and I can only give it a skibbit. I do love yeah, this no, series. I, I mean, it's not... It gets so good. It gets so good. But, man, this See, started like, rough. You say,
1: you say that, and I'm not even convinced that that's true. Um, yes, it is. It's super dated. It is kind of a silly read. Like, I love Bob McCloud. He went on to do a lot of stuff. He did some uh, Superman work in the 90s. Uh, He's like definitely right, bef- right before the uh, death of Superman. McCloud has done really good work. This just isn't it. It's but bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. I mean, uh, the only explanation I can think of for why this uh, resonated so much is that it was already a huge hit because it actually started its life as an uh, as a Marvel graphic novel. Right. So the first appearance of the New Mutants was in the Marvel Comics graphic novel series. Uh, and then they graduated to this ongoing, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's goofy. It's, it's rough. goofy. It's and rough. It, like <laughs> the best thing I can say about it is that at least it held on for a year and some change so that Bill Sinkevich could come around.
0: That's true. That's true.
1: <laughs> but yeah, it's a skimmer for me because it is very silly. Your turn, Joe Patrick. My first review is of new X-Men Academy X number 20 from Marvel. It doesn't say Academy X on the cover, but that's the series it came from. Screenwriters Craig Kyle and Chris Yost take over with this issue and they bring Kyle's creation X-23 with them. Uh, You may have remembered her from his work on the X-Men Evolution cartoon. Uh, Before now, this series had been a fairly straightforward teen adventure book with the students of the Xavier Institute separated into different quote-unquote houses, Harry Potter style. You had the New Mutants, you had the Hellions, et cetera. You know know what I mean. Right. And they all had like color-coded costumes. It was very Hufflepuff, Ravenclaw. You get it. Yeah, the
0: Hellions were in pink, you know, like Hellions. Yeah, right. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) They had that weird black lightning bolt on it. That was quite the...
1: Quite the design choice, aliens. <laughs> uh, this issue scraps all of that immediately as it takes place in the aftermath of the Scarlet Witch's decimation of the mutant populace during House of M.
0: Which we all know suddenly reduced the population by 10.
1: One-tenth by one-tenth, <laughs> Yes. yes. Uh, Suddenly an entire school full of children have woken up to find their world upended. Some are overjoyed, some are despondent and some simply can't wrap their heads around what has happened. It's almost the superhero equivalent of a school shooting. An incredible trauma has hit them and they'll never be the same. Kyle and Yost do a great job juggling the huge number of personalities and emotional reactions, including those of the teachers that are just trying to keep their kids safe while they figure things out a very young mark brooks is on art and while he's definitely a bit green here you can see his future potential on display in this issue new x-men 20 was a turning point for me it's what got me interested in the series back in the day i'm glad to see it still holds up i'm giving it a buy it
0: Yeah, this could have very easily turned into another one of those X-series where you're like, here's a new handful of kid mutants. Hope you don't like them too much because it's going to get canceled soon and we'll never do anything with them again until such time that Jonathan Heckman picks out a few of them and puts them on weird teams, you know? (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. This was great, and Kyle and Yost together went on to do a lot of really good X-stuff, not just this. I love this whole series. I love a lot of these characters. I'm really upset that we didn't see more of them later on and it's too bad but man this this was the opposite of new mutants where it hit the ground running with some really good characters that were well defined that had cool powers in a school a full-on school setting where they were there to do the job and oh i loved this book it was great
1: yeah like some characters uh like elixir and obviously x23 went on to do a lot of bigger things rock slide around rock slide who spends this entire issue sleeping (laughs) uh also becomes a pretty uh, popular character later on uh so yeah like these are established kids you know it's like you said it's not like a handful of throwaway new characters right these are kids that were already in the book that got thrust into the spotlight due to the events of house of m and it's really great My
0: next review is of Battle Royale number one from Tokyo Pop. This was 2003. Whenever we do this, I like to sneak a little manga in here just to upset Joe Patrick. You even had to read it the wrong way from left to right. It was bizarre.
1: I don't appreciate it one bit.
0: Written by Koshun Takami with art by Masayuki Taguchi. In the near future, Japan is ruled by this despotic government, and there's a famous game show that is mandated for viewing where kids fight to the death, Hunger Games style. but. This was way before the Hunger Games, so don't tell me they didn't steal the idea from this. The only difference was, this was way more violent. As I recall in the Hunger Games, when people died, it it was kind of sad, and they sort of went to sleep and went, oh, keep fighting for me. I love you. Ooh. You know, like death looks like I'd rather do that than stay in the Hunger Games because <laughs> that looks relaxing. Here, when people die, it's awful. Blood sprays all over the place. Kids are complete psychopaths. This is nightmarish. And in this one, an entire junior high class is kidnapped and forced to fight to the death on an island. And they very quickly turn into bloodthirsty psychopaths. Now I remembered this weird little series with some fondness, but upon revisiting it, it's pretty much just underage kid torture porn with exceptional art. The kids are insane, and for the most part, very unlikable. Junior high girls are in completely inappropriate sexual scenes, and even the hero is pretty annoying. This is one of those weird Japanese artifacts of the early 2000s where school comics became a whole genre that continues to this day. Like, there's sports school comics, haunted school comics, sex school comics, the most famous being superhero school comics, which you can read in the pages of My Hero Academia. It's a whole damn thing over there. The writer Takami describes this manga as containing the feeling of, quote, a general non-judgmental love for humans, which leads me to believe not only did he not write it, he didn't read it either. I'm giving this a leave it. It is a product of its time that does not hold up well. It is torture porn for the sake of torture porn and barely pushes this like despotic government using the people for bread and circuses along, but instead goes more for just grotesque violence. And like I said, sexual situations with little girls, little girls, not 16 or 17 year olds, 14 year olds, which is uh, not so cool. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, it just doesn't hold up like I remember (laughs) it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this very much wasn't, For me, this is not the sort of thing that I
0: would gravitate to. I will say the art, intensely amazing.
1: Yes, very good art. Um, Even though, like, this would inspire a lot of things that came later, which I will even mention this, I will even mention in my uh, next review. Um, Yeah, it very much isn't for me. Uh, I'm giving it a leave it as well, just because, like, I can't see myself recommending this to anyone. And uh, it's kind of gross it's, it's just it's, kind of gross more
0: than kind of gross and i mean not it's more
1: than kind of gross. <laughs> not, like, kind of gross. The
0: violence whatever you know like i i love good gore and i love good violence i'm totally in but when you start like having little girls lifting up their skirts and stuff that's when things get a little too kinky and weird yeah yeah and I japanese mean, that's a whole, whole cultural
1: thing that we're not gonna get into yeah but, and i
0: don't want to touch it so staying away from uh, it no thanks
1: I mean, as far as, like, the kids turning into psychopaths quickly, that's that so much is not something that bothered me uh, because, you know, like, Lord of the Flies. Well, but you also don't see a
0: whole lot of that here in this first chapter that we read. Like, I read the whole first book because I own them all. Probably going to get rid of them after this. <laughs> I wow. own them all, and I read the whole first book. And, like, the second chapter, they go in and they get explained. Here's what's happening. You're in this game, and here's how it works. Better start killing each other because— that's the game and screw you. You don't like it. I'm going to throw a knife in your head. I'm going to cut this girl in half in front of you guys. And to show you guys, I mean business now go start killing. And they immediately go out and like pick up Uzis. are just like, ah, <laughs> just start murdering each other. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, my next review is of Avengers Academy. Number one from Marvel fast forward several years from new X-Men and the Marvel universe is in a much better place. Norman Osborn has been outed as the shitbag He always was and driven from power. Now the heroes are back on top and in control of their own destiny. And so we have Hank Pym, Tigra and a number of other damaged heroes finding themselves in charge of training the next generation. Uh, There was always something about Avengers Academy that didn't really grab me. Until the final hook was revealed, uh, which I'm not going to reveal in this review. Uh, I did think that that idea showed a ton of promise. Uh, re- rereading this, though, after a decade, I was reminded that there isn't a single thing about this series that I remember. Yeah. I can't, I, I can't fault the creators, Christos, Gage, and Mike McCone, but the best thing about this series, aside from the major hook, which, again, is pretty cool... Is that some of these characters moved on to the much more compelling Avengers Arena by Jerry Duggan, which was also directly inspired by Battle Royale? Without
0: a doubt, yeah. Uh, less uh, panty shots, for, way less panty shots, though. So. Way much, much <laughs>
1: fewer panty shots. Yeah. Yes. Uh, as for this issue itself, Gage does a convincing job putting us in the shoes of the point of view character Vale as she struggles with her insecurities as a newly powered person. And we catch up with a group of established heroes that are still reeling from recent events. Welcome back, Speedball. Mike McCone's art has always been great. Uh, Avengers Academy number one is a decent comic that is also really forgettable. But it does set the stage for some awesome stories down the road. I'm giving it a skim it. Okay, so this took me back. And I really enjoyed this series. I still
0: have this full run.
1: Look, listen. I don't remember a single thing about it. I Not didn't one either thing.
0: when I started reading. But when I started reading it, it all started coming back to me. And the Avengers at the time needed a major shakeup. This was a lot of fun, where they had like decided, look, we're gonna have Avengers teams all over the place. Every state gets an Avengers. No, team.
1: No, that's the you're thinking of Avengers the Initiative, right? Which, which I do remember. Which this came, is something totally different. But this came out of that. No, it didn't. This came. Did the initiative come out of this? No. The initiative came directly after civil war, which was years before this. Is that right? Am I totally yes. misremembering mis- this? Yes. This came a- after dark rain and after siege, like Norman Osborn right. had weaseled his way into That's power. Right. Okay. So, and, th- and now this is the heroic age where the heroes are all friends again. Right. And we decide we need to start training new Avengers. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're thinking of Avengers, the so initiative, like which this I have again. fond memories of.
0: Yes. Okay. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I did really like the arc for this. I did have fun reading it because I remembered like, oh man, I I forgot this series. (laughs) I can only give it a skim as well because I also remember, like you said, It didn't really go anywhere other than to spin off into some strange stuff that was fun for niche reasons, but really didn't have any effect on the Marvel Universe. And
1: it ran for three years. Yeah. I I, I don't remember (laughs) any of these characters. (laughs) I don't remember any impact this series had in three years. I don't
0: think it did. I think uh, they switched gears after this and it was a different age after that. So there you go. I'll give it a skimming as well. My next review is of Umbrella Academy Apocalypse Suite number one from Dark Horse 2007. This was written by Gerard Way with art by Gabriel Baugh. 43 children were spontaneously born to women with no signs of pregnancy at the same moment that world-renowned pro wrestler Tusslin' Tom Gurney knocked out the space squid from Rigel X-9 with an atomic elbow, something we did not see in the Netflix series. I wish. Which is too damn bad. (laughs) After that, world-famous inventor and explorer and secret space alien... Sir Reginald Hargreaves adopts seven of the children to quote save the world and they fight a possessed Eiffel Tower. I haven't revisited this first series in a long time and I forgot how quirky and wacky way script was. It's like a Wes Anderson film on PCP with superheroes that hate each other. There is so much to instantly fall in love with here and it all just came flooding back to me. I ended up reading the whole first six, six issue arc. It's just excellent Baz art is loose and seems like it could get away from him at any point, but it's deceptively tight as well. And perfect for this off kilter super kid Academy story. Umbrella Academy is just a masterpiece and any fan of the show really does owe it to themselves to give this a read. I can see why they made the decisions in the show And it's not dumbing things down a little bit, but to simplify things a bit, which sounds bizarre because the show is so wacky but the comic is even more insane. It's,
1: I mean, the show is wacky in its own way. They're doing but, it
0: their own thing. But they don't go as far as this crap. It's crazy. They fight a possessed Eiffel Tower with zombie, I can't remember the name of the guy, but his last name is Eiffel, obviously, who is controlling it and making the Eiffel Tower sing to people so they would kill themselves.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's uh, Steve, Steve
0: Eiffel. It was so great. I'm giving it a buy it.
1: Yeah, no, this book is awesome. Uh, uh, Like, I I am a huge fan of the Umbrella Academy. I have not reread them since I read them for the first time. And I'd really love to. Uh, Like, I loved revisiting this. Uh, The art is phenomenal. The art is so good. Yeah. It just makes me miss Gabriel Ba and Fabio Moon. Like, I know that they do their own thing. They work at their own pace. They did a lot of Hellboy. Like, they did a lot of work in the Hellboy universe. They've done, you know, Daydreamer. Daydreamer.
0: Or oh, day, uh, day tripper, sorry, day tripper.
1: But like, I can't remember the last thing I saw from them, and oh, I guess it would have been U- Umbrella Academy Volume Three. Yeah, but a uh, uh, day yeah, tripper wasn't th-
0: that far before that, and then you know there was also Casanova and
1: stuff. And day tripper started coming out, I think, prior to two thousand and eleven. So we're yeah, talking like eight years ago. It's been a little bit, yeah. So, but yes, uh, like I love this. It's it's so weird, and I love your comparison to Wes Anderson. It's totally apt it's very like you know emo superhero oh yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah like my ke- like you can under- you can totally like when you if somebody were to say to you like oh the front man of my chemical romance wrote this comic book you'd be like oh yeah i get it yeah but yeah it's a huge bite for me what a what a great uh what a great concept and a great series this has been next up for me legion of superheroes 1980 number 304 from DC comics demonstrating
0: that that we forgot we were going to do this from oldest to newest (laughs) that's okay
1: oh i didn't really that's how we did them last time (laughs) i didn't really plan it that way. we'll do it next time don't worry uh so uh that year distinction is very important because uh it's very difficult to pin down specific issues of the legion of superheroes prior to the zero hour reboot.
0: They basically don't count, right?
1: Well, I mean, it's not only that they don't count, but good luck, good luck tracking down exactly which issue you're looking
0: for. Oh, okay, got it.
1: <laughs> this issue falls during the heart of the legendary Paul Levitt's Keith Given run of Legion of Superheroes, something I've been trying to get Matt to read for almost 20 years. It's true. Here, the Legion Academy are tasked with stopping a group of runaway beasts while the Legion leadership decides their fate. We also get a lot of great action with the classic Legionnaires using their abilities as a team to take down a group of organ pirates. Levitz and Giffen do a great job balancing character moments and action, getting us plenty of insight into the characters, some of which have been fighting alongside the Legion for years. This issue also happens to feature plenty of great moments for Wildfire, who happens to be my favorite Legionnaire of all time. He's kind of like Wildfire is like the Wolverine of Legion, right? Well, Timberwolf is the, no, is the Wolverine like, of the Legion. But, but like the w- most popular, right? But while uh, I don't think he's the most popular, Wildfire is kind of like a, you know, he's like a bad boy. He Who's does the it, sexiest you know, one? He,
0: Who's the Legionnaire that everybody wants to make out with? Oh. I don't know if there is like an equivalent. Uh Mon-El? I mean, like Wildfire has no mouth. But that's not the point. You know what I mean? I don't mean like actually make out with. I mean like, you know. Bouncing boy. Oh yeah. Okay. That's right. <laughs> it's definitely a bouncing. Ball. Yeah. Uh, matter. Legion- lad.
1: <laughs> Mad- yeah. You're like, uh, how much matter can you eat? lad? <laughs> Legion 304 is a perfect example of what made the book so great during its 1980s. Heyday with an excellent script, juggling a ton of characters and fantastic art from Keith Giffen. I'm giving it a buy it.
0: Yeah. I've never read any of this stuff. And after I read it, I texted Joe and I said, I was okay. That was pretty great. I get it. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it's wacky, and it's, it's pretty ridiculous, and it is very 80s idea of the future and whatnot. Sure.
1: Like, it's, 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 it's written in a style appropriate for its time.
0: Yes. Giffen's art is great, and he's drawing so many characters here that I, I hope he was well paid for this because it looks like a pain in the ass. <laughs> but this was a lot of fun, way more than I thought I was going to have with it. I'm not saying I'm going to sit down and re- read the whole thing, but I did enjoy this, and I'm giving it a buy.
1: I mean, there's too there's there's really kind of too much to read, like in a chronological I think sense. That is my biggest problem
0: with the Legion is there isn't like stepping stones. We can go read this, read this, read this, and then you will get the Legion. You know what I mean? Like you have to pick certain things, and you'll like it or you don't.
1: <laughs> so like I like I sent I sent Matt a a link uh, to a, a an issue of uh DC's Blue Ribbon Digest number 33 from 1983. Which I don't even know secret. what
0: that is, a Blue Ribbon Digest.
1: Blue, <laughs> Blue Ribbon Blue Ribbon Digest was a series of uh reprints that they would sell in like grocery stores. So like you'd find them in the checkout lanes at like, grocery stores. Were they stores little or were they full comic size? They were digests, like okay. Archie digests. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so and they would have like reprints and they had themes. So like one issue would be like superman versus kryptonite or superman versus aliens right every year they would do like a best of the year for all the best comics that came out that year sure and occasionally they would do legion of superheroes and this issue number 33 was the secret origins of the legion of superheroes and it was my first ever introduction to the legion and it was a collection of one-shot stories that were all introductions to specific characters And then at the back, they had like a, um, almost like a, a a slimmed down Marvel handbook style. Like here are the characters, here are their powers, you know, sort of thing in the back. Right. And at age five, I was like, give me more of this for the rest of my life, please. (laughs) And, and so like, I think if you like, if you read that book and then I could say, okay, you've read that. So you understand what the Legion is now go read the great darkness saga. Right. You'll be fine. All right, all right. Well, you know what I'm saying. Maybe someday, like, but we'll see. other than that, it's not like saying it's not like you can say, "Oh yeah," the 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 Claremont and burn run of X Men. Right. The Legion is much more difficult to pin down in that way. Gotcha.
0: Okay. My next review is of Morning Glories number one from Image 2010. This is written by Nick Spencer with art by Joe Eisma. The first issue introduces us to six students accepted to the Morning Glory Academy, all of which have the same birthday. And slowly the kids begin to figure out all is not as it seems, and maybe the school is less of an academy and more of a torture experiment with occult ties. Oh, shit. Now, I remember there being a lot of heat for this comic back in the day. Spencer was like this new hot creator, and reviewers were liking this book to lost meets Runaway. But it doesn't hold up very well. The characters are extremely unlikable for the most part, and all come in well-established tropes: evil smart guy, hot girl, hot nerd girl, hot emo, emo girl, other guys. I suppose art is way more angular than I remember and kind of wonky in some panels. I, I know this series had a following. But the first issue really didn't set up anything that I felt I needed to revisit. And I'm pretty sure I read like the first 12 issues of this back in the day because everybody kept telling me how great it was. And upon revisiting it, I remember why I stopped reading it. I'm giving this a yep. skim it. It seems like maybe he had an idea for a bigger thing here, but they tried to do a little too much in the first issue and it just didn't even make sense you know enough to hook you like the whole thing with like the girl that keeps calling her dad and her dad's like i don't know who you are she's like my father is who i am and they're, and they're like oh yeah that's just part of the deal that's what we do here at morning glory academy you know and by the way we're gonna kill you for reasons and i don't know <laughs> <laughs> like, i i this didn't do much for me at all i i'm giving it a skim it it wasn't terrible and yeah, yeah. Maybe no. it gets better, but I don't remember it getting better.
1: <laughs> I'm all, I also am not sure that it ever actually finished, which is a, another frustrating thing. Um, I, I feel like this was very much riding that lost wave. Definitely. And I remember thinking that at the time and it not hooking me at all. Yeah. And when I reread it, I was like, yeah, no, this does nothing for me. Yeah. Um, you know, like it's, Ooh, there's a mystery and every time we reveal one aspect of a mystery there's another mystery yeah yeah oh no 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 there's a hatch and there's a guy down there typing numbers into a computer for no reason <laughs> right <laughs> all right okay i get it I, I i understand what you're doing um joe eisman's art back in 2010 was kind of rough yeah he got way better Right? He did get better, he did get better, okay, and' Cause like uh, I remember Joe yes. Isma, that name, he's really
0: good. and I went and looked at this and was like, <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is yeah.
1: not good. <laughs> uh, so yeah, i I reread I remember I remember feeling all of those feelings when I saw this on your list, and I felt them all again when I read it again. yeah, and it's just like, yeah, morning glories, it just never hooked me. I'm giving it a skimmin it as well, because, like you said, there's nothing inherently bad about it, no. And I it think it just, was also both of
0: these guys' big breakout, you know, book. So this is their first yeah. shot at the big, at the big job, you know,
1: at the it's big the game. Sort of, it's the sort of book where, where I would, I would definitely say like your mileage may vary. You know, you might, you might read this, you might look at this and get immediately sucked in. I know people that loved it.
0: Like I remember Dave DeMarco right, yeah, loved this book.
1: Yeah. Heavy and into. I just like, no, I don't get it. I don't get it. I think we're on All the right, tail end here. Fine. Yeah. This is the end, right? Taking us home. Here we go. The Intimates, number one, from Wildstorm. I had almost forgotten this short-lived series from writer Joe Casey and artist Giuseppe Camoncoli, RIP Wildstorm, (laughs) and I was thrilled to revisit it. The Intimates takes place at the Seminary, a school for potential superheroes set firmly in the Wildstorm universe. It's the epitome of mid-2000s media, full of overly busy info dumps and pop-ups. It's like a fashion magazine crossed with the internet at the height of both of their excesses.
0: <laughs> it's like the it's like the website that Homer Simpson designed <laughs> with it's all like, the just the memes dancing.
1: <laughs> if this if this book had come out, uh, so this came out uh, what like two thousand four, two thousand five. I don't know. We're supposed come, to mention
0: the date too. That's another thing you yeah, forgot. Yeah, I know. So. I forgot.
1: <laughs> uh, if this book had come out six years earlier, there would be like. A cursor with a trailing uh, path of uh, glitter. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Like as you dragged your arrow across the screen. (laughs) It totally works, though. Casey created a cast of really compelling students and teachers, all of which are disgraced superheroes. Casey does a great job getting in the heads of all of these delinquents. Plus, he was Hickman before there was a Hickman with the added graphics and the pages of message board posts. There isn't much here in terms of an ongoing plot yet, but it doesn't matter. Casey takes his time putting the seminary and its inhabitants at the forefront, and the issue is better for it. I've always been a fan of Camo's art. That's what we call him because we're friends. (laughs) And I think that this may have been where I first became a fan of his. The character designs are fantastic and he excels at everything from the classroom scenes to the more explosive moments. The Intimates was a weird series by a weird writer. And this came at a time when he was at the height of his powers. I'm giving it a huge buy it.
0: Yeah. This is what Joe Casey does though. And Joe Casey has always been able to like sort of, grab the spirit of the time if you will and put it on paper with superheroes and that's what i've always loved about the guy and i loved this series it was too much fun and you could argue that he's sort of formulaic in the sense that yeah he does it again in 10 years with these other characters and he does it again 10 years later with these new characters i'm all right with it because it's just so much fun to read his comics the way that he yeah. captures the spirit of that moment and does it feel dated? Yes, but it's supposed to. I think like the idea is like this is hot and this is what's going on right now, you know. And I want people to look back and remember like, yeah, that's what was going on, right? Right. Then. It's
1: it's not it's not dated because it's not dated because it was written during a certain time. It's dated because it was written to be part of a yes, certain time.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And uh, I, I'll also say that this came at like. The pinnacle of Wildstorm before they started to kind of shut down. Yeah, this was just following the cancellation of Wild uh, Wildcats
0: 3.0. We will be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor. We wanted to tell you about Omaha Bound's latest Kickstarter project, Omaha Bound, our premier bookbinders that specialize in binding comic books into amazing one-of-a-kind hardbound editions, completely customizable to your specifications. Omaha Bound's latest project is a collection of Paul Tobin and Phil Hester's Fringe, originally printed by Caliber Comics in the 1990s and reprinted for the first time collected ever. Oh, by the way, the series never ended. But now, you can read the end. This new reprint includes a newly written ending to the story, new spot illustrations by Hester accompanying the new ending, new cover by Phil Hester, and an introduction by Zach Davison. We're going to have a link in the show notes to their Kickstarter where you can see preview art and more. These trade paperbacks are ready to print and are print-by-order only, so they will be very limited. So you pledge, if you want to own this beautiful collection of early works by Tobin and Hester, you will also get a copy of the Fringe Pencils and Inks. It's a companion piece that has 100 plus pages of original art, sketches, and other artifacts. It's printed in full color, and like I said, they are ready to print. So you order this, and boom, it's shipping right out to you. Plus, you'll also get a copy of the Wretch Omnibus, which collects every Wretch storyline, including a new one by series artist Phil Hester that he did in 2019, and the Wretch Pencils and Inks art book. Go check out their Kickstarter. Get in on four exciting, beautifully curated hardcovers, printing Fringe and the Wretch for the first time with new content. I want to send a huge thanks to Omaha Bound for supporting this show. And go support these guys. Contact them if you want to get your hands on these unique collectibles. Or you want to get your comics bound into a -a one-of-a-kind hardcover collection. I know on their website, they had an X-Factor collection all lined up. And the spines lined up with the team showing the the Larry Strowman X-Factor stuff that I love so much.
1: You can find them at omahabound.com now. Back to the show! Uh, there's a there's a little blurb in here to read Sleeper, Ed Brubaker's Sleeper. Oh, so but good. Like, this was like, Wildstorm wild back then was firing on all cylinders.
0: Oh, yeah. We're definitely going to do a Wildstorm theme for one of these, two. Oh, shit. Yeah, storm let's storm. do it. That'll be great.
1: So, Matt Baum, which book wins? What
0: is your book of the week? You know what? Of these, I knew I loved the Umbrella Academy, so I wasn't shocked at all when I went back and read it again, and it was still great. So I'm going to give it to the Legion. I'm giving it to the Legion. What? I didn't plan. Oh, my God. I didn't plan on having, like, as much fun as I did with it. It caught me by surprise. And I was like, okay, I get this. This is, I can see why people love it. And it was fun. And some of the other stuff that I thought I would have fun, I went back and read. And I was like, oh, that kind of sucks. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, which <laughs> feels okay. bad. I hate saying what I said about New Mutants, but it's the truth. That
1: first issue is bad. It's just, it's bad. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I want to, I want to real quick touch on uh, what I loved so much about the Legion is that Levitz, by virtue of being on the book for so long, he was able to develop these characters. Over many years,
0: Do you realize you're going into your third Legion review now, right?
1: <laughs> I understand. Okay. So, like, it, like if you, so that that Blue Ribbon Digest I mentioned, it has the first appearance of Wildfire in it, and spoilers, it ends with him unleashing all the energy of his suit to stop that machine, uh, to stop him, uh, an, an out of control machine, I like, I don't and know what the Legion thinks we're he's about. <laughs> and the Legion thinks he's dead. They're like, oh shit. He emptied his vessel, and now he's dead. And at the end of this story, he blows himself up because he's sad about a girl. <laughs> Which I thought was so great.
0: Well, I mean, that's sad. You know, sure, I get that. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just like,
1: oh, man, what a great moment. Girls will make uh, but upset. I, it's true, you know what? Uh, but I'm actually giving this to the intimates because... It reminded me of such a great time period, not only for Wildstorm, but for Joe Casey. Fair enough. Uh, I I remember like really latching onto this concept, really enjoying seeing a new creator in Giuseppe Camincoli. Uh Like it's it was just like, oh man, yeah, this book was awesome. And so for me, it's the intimate. Bing, 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 ping, ping. That's the sound of Orion's mother box from the pages of jack kirby's new gods number four 1971 this onomatopoeia of the week is brought to you by jason sachs as part of the classic comics cavalcade podcast in which we discuss new gods number four available on all podcast platforms there you wait go wait a minute
0: we didn't allow we didn't tell them we were gonna allow that oh come on we give them all the shameless plugs they want yeah, oh, what can it's you do true. It's, true. it's true as you heard that was Jason Sachs giving you the onomatopoeia of the week and if you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week you can post it to any of our social media accounts or you can send us an email like Jason did to twittednerd at gmail dot com or you can call us and make the noise too
1: just tell us where it
0: came from and we'll play it on the show
1: that's it for reviews, and now it's time to head up to the THN Syncum Sanctorum, where I've discovered Matt praying to Blackheart himself for a good eighth pick in the Nerd Fantasy Football League that I wasn't invited to. Shame!
0: They told me not to invite you. There's nothing I can do. I wanted That's you there, true. personally. I was no, like, can you play? And chose, like,
1: no! <laughs> you chose. I hope your whole team gets the COVID. Now you're supposed to be praying to Satan's kid for guidance on your must-read pick for next week. I can multitask with my rituals, thank you. And I just so happen to have
0: a pick. My pick for next week is Heavy, number one from Vault Comics. It's written by Max Bemis with art by Eric Donovan, who spells his name with a Y. Y, cause He's a weirdo. You may remember Eric. He also drew Mimetic, and he's a talented dude. Oh, yeah, I do remember Mimetic. 32 pages for $3.99, and here is your solicit. Bill may be dead, but he's got a job to do. Welcome to the big wait, where folks who don't quite make the cut go to work off their debt. Everyone in the wait's got a job. Bill, he's a heavy, whose job is policing the multiverse, making sure bad eggs get what's coming to them. He's on track to earn his climb and reunite with the woman he loves. Until he meets his new partner, the worst dude of all time. Heavy is the Punisher for neurotics. Inception for the impatient. Preacher for, well, it's a lot like Preacher. Max Bemis (laughs) and Eric Donovan bring you a story about the existential purpose of dumb boys with big guns. This sounds
1: wonderful <laughs> i can't wait i mean you know for a guy <laughs> in a shitty band max bemis does right
0: he does bands. he does yeah maybe we can say the same thing about gerard way so yeah exactly <laughs> what i was thinking
1: to be fair to be fair gerard way also is in a shitty band joe patrick what is your pick of the week my pick of the week is iron man number one from marvel comics written by christopher cantwell with art by kafu it's 40 pages for 4.99 here's your solicit big iron Tony Stark is looking to restart his engine. He decides he's going back to basics, putting away his high-tech toys and high-profile image so he can get his hands dirty again. It's time to dig into the guts of real machines, put on some old-fashioned metal, and fly. But can he really lay that Stark-sized ego down? Life isn't that simple, something that old friends and frustrating foes are quick to point out. If you strip down a billionaire to his bolts, does he run solid or just overheat? Tony's going to find out once a threat to the entire universe rears its head from the past. Nope. There's no comma there. Tony's going to find out once a threat, to the entire universe rears its head from the past. (laughs) There you go. As he suits up again, (laughs) Tony remains sure of one thing. He's still Iron Man down to his flesh and blood core. I'm so excited for this. I am so, we've talked about how
0: Tony Stark, like the tech in Iron Man has just gotten ridiculous.
1: They keep, like, ever since Warren Ellis came around with yeah. the Extremeness, like they Ellis, have tried
0: to one-up it. But to, to be fair, like, what Warren Ellis did was, like, a jump, but it was also, like, a cool idea. A plausible jump. Yeah, yes. yeah. And then everyone else was like, oh, yeah, well, now the iron travels time, and now it makes robot dinosaurs, and now it's all... Like, okay, let's
1: just... Now he only, um, now he only imagines his iron suit. It's a dream that surrounds him. Let's relax. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, no, uh, I I feel like, and you know, we've also talked at length about how Dan Slott's Iron Man just failed to grab us. Yeah. Uh, And this seems like a much more back to basics approach for the character whom I do love. And Christopher Cantwell makes great comics.
0: And if you want to get excited for this, go watch his Halt and Catch Fire on AMC. It's all on Netflix right now, and it is about the creation of the first, like, portable computer, the first laptop. And all it is is nerds, like, working on circuit boards and working on BIOS, and it is amazing. Really well written. Oh, I can't wait to see what he does with Iron Man. This is going to be fun. The THN Train of the Week goes to Little Bird, Fight for the Elders, Hope, the trade paperback from Image Comics, written by Darcy Van Polgeist, and whenever I look at that last name, I want to call her Darcy Van Poltergeist. The art, I get it. I can't help it. It's the first thing that wants to come out of my mouth. Art by Ian Bertram, who is exceptional. 200 pages for 19 Here's your her solicit. Little Bird tells the story of a young resistance fighter battling against an oppressive American empire while searching for her own identity in a world on fire. The critically acclaimed, gorgeously illustrated epic from award-winning filmmaker Darcy Van Poltergeist and Anguilm-nominated artist Ian Bertram is now available in paperback. We loved Little Bird right here in the show. Joe Patrick reviewed it, gave it a huge buy. No, I also, you reviewed it. Did I review it? Yes. Oh, we both gave a huge buy. It's really enjoyed it. I read the first five issues and i think i've fallen way behind since then it was just a five issue mini oh i thought it was still running is it that it nope it was a limited series okay then i read this whole thing and i loved it and the art is intensely gorgeous this dude ian bertram is crazy talented go pick this up joe has nothing to say about it
1: i mean i agree What else is there to say? Say something. I agree.
0: (laughs) Your job is to also say something. That's what we do here. I agree. Okay. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Be sure to hit up your local comic shop and add these comics to your list so you can read along at home and let us know what you're reading too over at our Facebook page, where every Wednesday you can find your official THN reading list if you want to play along. For more two-word (laughs) hard-hitting reviews and opinions.
0: Follow Joe on Twitter. I disagree. (laughs) This past Tuesday was Star Trek Day and I spent it binging Deep Space Nine on Netflix, which we found out it's all over the place. It's on Hulu, it's on Netflix, it's on CBS All Access. They're super slutty with their Star Trek these days
1: crazy. Yeah, you're, you're really having a hard time understanding the I fact just that thought you the, had to, have multiple streaming deals. I thought you had
0: to pick one and stick with it, unless you were a pirate like me, then you can get it wherever you want. But, huh. It just so happens, we got hit with a Star Trek Ask a Nerd question. Take it away, Mr. Del Ponte.
1: Hey, Joe and Matt. Uh, this is Joe. Uh, I've been listening a while, Called a couple times, but uh, uh, I had a question for you guys. Uh it might fall under Ask a Nerd, but uh, I'm just going to throw it out there. You guys put it where you see fit. Uh, Growing up, I was kind of tribalistic in the things I did, like I drove Chevy cars and not Ford, read Marvel Comics and not DC, and I watched Star Wars and not Star Trek. Um, Now that I'm growing up, I uh, read DC Comics and I've driven all sorts of cars. So, uh, I have never got into Star Wars, or Star Trek, and uh, I want to. Where do I start, though? I mean... What's too old? What's not any good? What's a good starting point? Any information to ho. hope? Thanks, guys. Bye.
0: I love this question, and it reminds me of an age-old music question that I can't fucking stand. And that's when people come and they go, well, let me ask you a question. You're a music nerd, right? stones or beetles and i want to just push them over i want to knock them down and stand over them and say that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard and the same thing goes for star wars or star trek you don't have to pick one with that said one is actual sci-fi and the other is kind of a fairy tale it's not very well written but anyway we're talking star trek
1: (laughs) so I assume
0: you mean Star Trek is actual sci-fi. Yes,
1: Star Trek is actual hard (laughs) sci-fi. And I love Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. I love it. Yeah, I mean, but it is a space opera. It is a fairy tale. Yes. Uh, So I'm actually very uh, conflicted about this question. I am too. I'm not sure if I have a good
0: answer. That's the tough part is you need to ask yourself, Joseph, first of all, do I want to go back and look at something that is older and maybe a little dated And will you appreciate it for the writing and what was happening thematically on the show? It can be easy to look at some of these older shows that Joe and I love, like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and Voyager, and just be like, ah, man, I can't handle the cheesy effects. I can't handle the bad looking alien stuff. And I'm not even talking about the 60s Star Trek. I would not start there.
1: Yeah, no. Don't start like, there. <laughs> I, like, I would say, like, would I even recommend Deep Space Nine, which I love more than any other Star Trek? I don't know that I would start Would I recommend there. it to somebody that's never gotten into Star Trek?
0: No, I wouldn't. And the
1: answer is no. I wouldn't. I, no. Would I recommend Next Generation to somebody that's never gotten into Star Trek? Probably, I still don't know if I would. Probably not. I would say... There are some very
0: good entry points right now and they are on CBS All Access and they are Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. And Star Trek Picard. And while those two don't necessarily feel like the Star Trek that Joe and I grew Classic up loving, Trek. they are still very much in the spirit. And if you find yourself saying, "You know what? This is a lot of fun. I like the idea of the Federation. I like the idea of this universe." At that point, I think you can take the step and go back in time to Netflix or Hulu or CBS all access and start to look at shows like star Trek, the next generation. And the good thing about star Trek next generation is you can literally start with season one and roll right into it. Deep space nine is a show that I adore and it's probably my favorite, but I would not start with season one because it is just more sort of, oh, there's a crazy problem on the ship, you know, just like they did in several other Star Treks. And then they slowly get into the theme that carries through the rest of the show, which is more of a conflict between two races that is sort of almost like an Israeli-Palestinian conflict that sets up one of the greatest Star Trek stories of all time. But with that said, we experienced it as much younger lads while it was actually happening
1: and we were also we were already fans right and
0: we were already fans and had this appreciation i think you have to start with some of the new stuff as someone's just coming into it to get the feel and
1: see now I, if you like I, it that was my first thought but i'm not sure i agree i think that there is all right let me back up much like with star wars um, I think that we can assume that anybody that operates on some level of nerddom comes into something new with some kind of basic understanding. Sure. So like, if I said to you as a person that's never gotten into star Trek, who's captain Kirk, you know who captain Kirk is, right? Of course. You know, who Spock is, of course, you know, you might not know like specifics about them. You might not know that he was born in Riverside, Iowa or whatever, but you, but you, you know Kirk just from, just from like absorbing it through osmosis from yeah. other pop culture. Sure. So I think that if you're going to get into Star Trek and you want to get a feel for what Star Trek really is, I think some of those movies might be good entry points. I
0: don't disagree with that. I, I, I don't disagree with that at all because they had pretty big budgets. They had great writers. They still very much, well, a lot of the movies <laughs> still stayed very true. It's, it's every other, every other movie is typically the good one. I don't disagree with, I don't agree with that either. I think that's bullshit. And like, I think some of those movies that we thought were garbage have aged very well. And others are still definitely garbage, but are fun for different <laughs> reasons.
1: <laughs> so like, are you like, I would not recommend that anybody new to star Trek, watch the, the original motion picture. It's boring. I love it. Even to, so even much. to classic Trek fans, <laughs> Star Trek, the motion picture, is boring. I still love it so much. But Wrath of Khan is legitimately great. The Wrath of Khan is legitimately great.
0: I would also argue um, the 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 Undiscovered undiscovered country Country is an excellent... Like, if you want to get to what was great about that old Star Trek series, it was the whole idea of setting up the fact that, like, there is a federation of aliens, and they all came together, and they sort of make the universe a better place, but there are some people that don't like that. And that the yeah, yeah.
1: Star Trek six, the undiscovered country is all about the Klingons and the Federation, uh, brokering a peace treaty and the factions within both groups fighting to oppose it. Yeah. And so there was this like conspiracy and there was murders and Captain Kirk gets put on trial. It's, it's, it's wonderful. thing. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the Cold War of Star Trek.
0: Definitely. But and, it, it lays out like the bare bones of what Star Trek is, the diplomacy, yeah. the idea that like different civilizations can work together but have to get over their hurdles of how they think things should be run. And it's so well written and so fun. It,
1: it's also a nice spotlight on the friendship between Kirk, Dr. McCoy and Spock. Definitely. And it's a nice kind of like end cap. Uh, it's, not, it's an end cap to the original series era. And then from there, as much as I love The Next Generation, the first couple seasons are not great. No. Uh, so if you wanted a nice bridge between the original series and The Next Generation, I would watch Star Trek Generations, yeah. which is also not a great movie. But it passes the baton from Kirk to Picard. And it gives you everything you need to know about the next generation crew, Picard, Riker, Data. Like, you get all you need to know. It's definitely the best...
0: Of the next generation movies. No question. No,
1: false. For, first contact is the best of the next generation movies. Really? You think movies. so? I don't know, yes, man. Yes, absolutely. I like 100% first contact. but generation- With a bullet,
0: no. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: so, and then, you know, from there, we're going to get, if you want to get granular, we can say, okay, you've watched Generations, so you know who this crew is. Then you need to watch the best of both worlds, which is the season uh, th- season three cliffhanger season four premiere where picard gets kidnapped by the borg oh and then that leads directly into star trek first contact
0: okay now let's just slow down
1: let's slow down we're hitting I'm just saying like we can we can like do this forever right but the the key to star trek is finding the the moments that encapsulate the spirit of both the concept and the characters definitely and I think that trying to binge it from the start of any particular series is a mistake. I agree. I
0: definitely agree. I, 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 again, I think you're very safe starting with the newer stuff to get a feel for the spirit of it and see if you're interested in that. Because the spirit is there. And then from there, go back. Dip your toes into some stuff and see, all right, I want to check out this next generation stuff. And I would say feel free, again, with the next generation, go ahead and start with season three because that's when it got really good. You'll yeah. know who the characters are. You're you're not going to have to go back and be like, "Oh, I missed all this stuff from season 1 and season 2." There's enough development. You're going to know who Jean-Luc Picard is. You're going to know who Jordi LaForge is, who Worf is. And I would argue we really started to learn about their characters more in season 3. And well, it wasn't and the just thing- the situational like there's another problem with this that's happening on the ship yeah. that we all have to figure out,
1: you know. The best thing about the best thing about the original runs of Star Trek on TV is that they're episodic, not serialized. Yeah. For the most part. And so, you know, you, we, like, you can look online and find, like, the, 20, the top 25 best episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes. You know, or whatever, and not worry about not having seen... Oh well, this on this list number one on this list is start is episode three episode or season three episode twenty two. But I didn't see the first twenty one episodes. Doesn't matter. Don't worry about. Doesn't it. Doesn't matter.
0: Yeah, don't think about it like that. You're not watching Homeland, you know. Yeah, you're, right. Yeah, you're watching now, an episodic for, show.
1: For for the later shows, and I would argue, disc, uh, Deep Space Nine after season after season two, uh, because it starts a, an ongoing storyline with the Dominion War, mm-hmm. and then especially especially the new shows, Picard and Discovery, they are serialized. Definitely, But they're also short, you know. Yeah. 12, 13 episodes. Yeah. And so they're much easier to like jump in, get a feel and then you can pick and choose what you want to watch before that. So, you know, if I, if I were making a recommendation for getting into classic Trek to get a feel for what it's all about, it would be start with some of the more highly recommended movies, and then bounce around the uh, individual series. Um, and also, I don't want to discount the merits of the J.J. Abrams reboot. While they are different, they're, they're different, different they're and different. they do have a different tone. Uh, they have a different tone, but they are also a good introduction to the concept of Star Trek and Starfleet and, you know, the crew. A lot of the personalities are very yeah. similar. Yeah, I'm making a
0: face. You can't see it, but I'm making a face.
1: I can see your face. Look. <laughs> I mean, like, the listeners can't see it. That's what I'm saying. Like, like, Kirk, are like, are they fun? Kirk is, Kirk is a cocky womanizer, just are, like he
0: was in the 60s. Are the J.J. Abrams movies fun? Yes. Do I like them? Yes. Do I feel like they do a good job encapsulating
1: the spirit of Star Trek? I'm going to say no. I think Star Trek Beyond does. I think Star Trek Beyond was the most Star Trek. I think of all that definitely was.
0: I de- that definitely was. But at the same time, it was still very much Star Trek light. And I get yes, why they did but it. But I I, I, I think, think you could say the same
1: it. I think you could say the same thing about Star Trek Discovery season one. Oh, without
0: a doubt. Yeah. Definitely. Season two, full on fucking Star Trek. Well, no question. <laughs> season
1: two, season <laughs> two gets into some deep, nerdy shit. Oh, yeah. With a uh,
0: classic Trek continuity. Loved it. All right, we've screamed about this long enough. That is I don't
1: know if we actually answered the question. <laughs> we but did. That's, that's like all, all of the best Ask a Nerd questions. I don't know that we ever actually really but we answered. Did. I
0: mean, the, the, the answer is dip your toes in and, and go ahead. Get online and look at the most re- like the highly recommended stuff and just dip your toes in. You don't have to do it all. Don't feel like you do. That's not how Star Trek works
1: right and you know what and it's the same recommendation that i give to people with comics like when matt comes at me and he says i can't read the legion of superheroes it's been going for too long it's too dense it's too complicated untrue and i hate that i even said that because that's the same shit
0: we yell at people for all the time
1: like every 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 comic every movie every tv show every whatever is somebody's first experience to that sort of thing and so it's just like hey man Dive in, dive in. Yeah, we have our favorites. We've told you our favorites. And if you like what you see, keep going. Look up recommendations online. Hit us up if you want specific episodes. I can list them for you.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Thank you, Joe, for your question. And if you have an ask a nerd question that you want us to talk about at length but not actually answer, hit us up. We're your guys. (laughs) Send an email to editor at gmail.com, record a voicemail, record an MP3, and email it to us. Post it on the forums, post it on the Facebook, hit us up on Twitter. We're everywhere. You know how to reach us.
0: I would like to have a good Defender segment with uh, Star Trek Enterprise, by the way. I know you're out there, Enterprise nerd. You see
1: but the worst thing about Star Trek Enterprise is the game song. So oh,
0: that's not, I, I mean, I, I that's really the worst thing, but that's not where it ends. <laughs> I'll say that. Oh! That is it for Teachin' 589! Next week we are back to New Comics Kids and Jason Sachs is going to show up to tell us all about who the hell is Ultraman? Until then, Joe Patrick, I want a new question of the week and I want it right
1: damn now. I have it. This week's question was submitted by Christy Forrest and it is a flip side to her husband Ryan's question from last week. Which comic book character, hero, villain, supporting character, what have you, had the best on-screen death? Cover to Cover is back every Saturday at 10.30, live on our Facebook page, and it is the new home for nerd news, so call us at 402-819-4894 or shoot an mp3 of your answer to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. You could be internet famous. Please, though, we try to police it, we're bad at it, but... Do your best to keep it two minutes or less so we can share the air with these other nerds out there. If you're new to the show and you would rather have
0: all your heroes killed off than listen to another moment, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at 2 But hosting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like the sweetest guy in the world, Mr. Randy Andrews, host of the Soundtrack Alley podcast. That guy has been way too sweet to us for way too long. Hey, I, you know we don't even get it. We don't even deserve uh, his love.
1: I I plugged this into the script before I saw him call us on Twitter his second favorite podcast. <laughs> I'm even okay with that. So just, screw you, Randrew! Nah, whatever,
0: man. Make it top five in Randy's book, that's fine with me. You know, I'll take it. No, nah, <laughs> no, we appreciate the love.
1: He's con he is constantly singing our praises online and we appreciate it. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our dear friends from across the pond, stately Lord Fungus, and his lovely bride, QE2, who are celebrating their twentieth wedding anniversary as we record this very episode. I think. I'm not sure how time zones work. Or do you, you crazy lovebirds? It might be the future there by now. I want to say, screw you guys for
0: rubbing it in our face that Europe knows how to handle a pandemic better than we do, and you guys can travel now. That's bullshit. We get it. We're idiots. They went to some, like, gorgeous tropical island. It looks amazing. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just rub them all over his face and then rub them in your face, and that is not responsible social distancing. This is the two-headed nerd telling you Wear your mask, wash your fucking hands, or we're never gonna get out of this shit, and signing off.